0: If you're doing your job today and you're more focused on your next job, it's not going to work out well. I mean, I always tell people, do the job you're doing today. Like you're going to do it for the rest of your life because that means you're going to invest in it. You're going to make it better. You're going to drive
1: efficiency. Welcome back to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Sapperstein. We recently hosted our sixth annual Women on the Move Leadership Day at JPMorgan Chase, and you'll hear some of the exclusive content from the event over the next few episodes. Today, you'll hear from one of our keynote speakers, Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors. Mary started her career at GM and worked her way up to become the first female CEO of a big three automaker. Mary Erdos, CEO of Asset and Wealth Management for J.P. Morgan, conducted the interview, and you won't want to miss it. Welcome,
2: Mary. Thank you so much for being with us. You get Mary squared here. We are so excited to have Mary Barra with us. She needs absolutely no introduction. CEO of General Motors on every single list there is Forbes, Fortune, Times most influential women, people, first female CEO uh, in the entire auto industry. Stanford Business School grad, Disney board member, General Dynamics board member, and really just a fabulous, fabulous person that I've had the good fortune of getting to know over the last uh, few years. We sit on the U.S.-China Business Council together, and that's a that's a pretty special thing to watch Mary uh, as she navigates all that goes on between the two countries and her company and how well it's done through that. So we're, we're really excited to have you with us. Many of us on this session today come from the finance industry. And I think many of us think we probably live in the most male-dominated or, or historically male-dominated industry. Well, we got nothing on you coming from the auto industry. And I look at your career and I think like it doesn't ever even have seemed to have phased you. You started your career at age 18. I think you were the the fender and the hood inspector to try and pave your way through uh, through college. And so I just thought we should start with that, which is... How have you sort of muscled through the, what was historically an incredibly male-dominated industry to rise to where you are, and how did you think about it, or what is it
0: about your personality you think that, that got you through all of this? Well, Mary, first of all, thank you for this opportunity, and um, it's so great for, like you said, Mary Square to be talking today because um, I've you know, so enjoyed getting to know you and work with you on the U.S.-China Business Council, so thank you so much uh, for uh, hosting, hosting me today. But I think if I go back all the way to when I started at General Motors, I think it actually even starts before then. Um, You know, my parents uh, neither had the opportunity to go to college, but they they just truly believed uh, that my brother and I could do and be anything we set our mind to. And so we were raised with this. You can do and be anything you want to be. And so I think as I got to the working world, I took that with me and I had this kind of inner you know, heard my mom in the back of my head saying, You can do this. And, you know, it, it was really something um, of, a, of a huge lesson for me or eye opening that I, when I, a lot of people talk to me and they say, You know, I, I don't aspire to that because I don't see anyone who looks like me uh, there. And my mom just, you know, really in, instilled this confidence that I belonged there and I could do anything. And that was probably what um, has been so instrumental. And then i would say the other thing and i learned this earlier in my career you know, so often people who have career expectations and that's great um but if you're doing your job today and you're more focused on your next job it's not going to work out well i mean i always tell people do the job you're doing today like you're going to do it for the rest of your life because that means you're going to invest in it you're going to make it better you're going to drive efficiencies If you're just passing through, then you're more like renting the the job. And frankly, when you're investing, that's when you get noticed. So this idea of own your job, do it like you're going to do it for the rest of your life, I think also um, gets the right commitment and people notice.
2: Yeah, I think that's your career in a nutshell. I remember learning all about before you were CEO, you know, one of your big first jobs was head of HR. So being head of HR for one of the major car companies I can imagine what it was for the many years leading up to when you got there. And then when you got there, there you are making your mark, changing it in the way that you wanted to change it. And I think quite well known for converting the whole thing into really empowering people. And you were going to be the best HR manager that there ever was. Maybe because you had been, you know, sort of worked your way up in the in the industry. And so there you were. I think one of the early things you did was you changed the dress code of the car industry, which is sort of crazy, but you didn't do it in a command and control way. You did it in a, like, why don't we just say dress appropriately? How about we try that? And so maybe just a little bit of that job. I'm sure people said, you, did you do it because you think you wanted to be CEO or whatever? Like, no, you did it because you wanted to be the best HR person ever.
0: Yeah, well, so uh, when I was offered the opportunity to to, um, run HR, I think it was largely because through my whole career, I had been on a lot of committees or task force on employee engagement, and I just really believed that people are our strength, and I knew how talented the people were at General Motors, but I also knew we had some cultural challenges about empowering, and, you know, I know, um, I think this audience has a lot of people who are in the manager role in it, and You know, it's so important to empower, know your people and empower your people. And so, you know, we had a multi-page dress code and frankly, no one really read it. And if, you know, we had an issue that someone wasn't dressing appropriately, um, it's about having that conversation. But the other thing we looked at is, you know, we have people who meet with government officials every day. We have people who are out in the field meeting with customers and dealers or suppliers. We have people that are working on our assembly lines or in warehouses. How can you possibly write a dress code? And then when you think about it, you're, you're trusting these people to do a great job every day, to design a vehicle, to um, service a customer, and you can't trust them to know what they should wear. And so, dress appropriately was actually almost a start of a cultural change. I didn't realize it at the time because when we put it out there, I got calls from people saying, you know, you need to change this because, you know, I, I'll never forget this one call from a manager who said, you have to change it. Now people in my staff want to wear blue jeans and I don't think it's appropriate. And I was like, okay, well, why don't you think it's appropriate? They said, well, every now and then, and it can be at the spur of the moment, we have to meet with outside um, outside people and I don't think it's appropriate to show up in jeans. I said, okay, I understand. Have you talked to your team about this? And he said, no, I haven't. I said, well, look, why don't you bring this up at your next staff meeting or whenever your group huddles and, and say, here's why I, I don't think we, we should wear jeans and, and see what they say and have a conversation. He called me back two weeks later and he said, it was great. We all decided that we can wear jeans, but we'll have a pair of khakis or dress pants, you know, available. So if there's that rare time where we have to meet with someone, we will look appropriate for the meeting. And the power of that conversation to me was really the empowerment of the team and the empowerment of the manager to solve real issues as opposed to say, yeah, I wanna wear jeans too, but they, you know, the implements they won't let us. And it really started, I think, to shift our culture to, first of all, trusting people and believing in people are gonna do the right thing, but also holding them accountable to make that decision as opposed to thinking, well, I'm gonna be told what to do. So it really was the start of, I think, the cultural shift we wanted to make in the company.
2: It's amazing. And we've gone through the same exact things in our company. Um, And uh, so it's, it's just great. And it inspires us all to rethink about what are all those things that we think we have to be so command and control about Uh, and what you'll get as a lift from the company if you you think differently. Uh, Can I pivot to the world that you live in, which is like constant? um, It looks looks like when you read about the industry, it's constant crisis, right? So you've got labor issues constantly. Um, I remember right after you became CEO, you had a major recall and like, how is she gonna manage through it, and how is that gonna happen? Now we've got like microchip shortages. We've got China-U.S. Uh, issues. We've got COVID that you know shuts down plants. And how does how does that work? And now you've been able to you know sort of work all the way through that. Pick any of those, and just bring bring to life your management style through crisis. You know, sort of what is it that people say. The reason we got through it is because Mary does these things.
0: Well, I think it's not just me. I have a phenomenal team. And so whenever, you know, we're faced with something, I think one of the things um, everybody needs to understand is on the first day of a challenge... You only know a little amount. You don't, you know, you learn over the days and weeks, and, and sometimes you're learning hour by hour what you're really facing. And so, you know, one of the things we do is we get the right people together and say, OK, here's what we're facing. And one of the things I'm so proud of at GM is when we're faced with one of these challenges, the team just execute. I mean, I'll, I'll use just quickly the ventilator. You know, last year when we got a call saying uh, from Ken Chenault saying, can you help this small company that builds 250 ventilators a year, can you help them scale? And within 30 days, we had a we had the first ventilator roll off a line in a, um, a operation that was capable of running making 10,000 ventilators a month instead of 250. And so, when the team has clear goals and they know the challenges, you know they just come up with amazing things, creativity, innovations to get the job done. So when I look at you know some of the the serious issues and, and the ignition switch recall was probably the most serious issue to date because it involved people's lives and you know doing the right thing for our customer keeping our customers safe delivering quality to them um, that's that's one of our most important um, challenges in the pandemic it was keeping our employees and um, our customers safe and so it's getting the cross functional team together. And doing, you know, one of the things I learned early in my career is you've got to do the right thing even when it's hard. So often, people think, um, especially in in leadership, you think, "Well, I've got to make this tough decision," and, you, and and you sometimes can get convince yourself, you know, you're the only one who knows this difficult choice. I had a, a leader tell me early in my career, and this happened to be about an HR issue. Um, the person said, "Look." Everyone knows there's a problem here and they're just waiting to see what you're going to do. And so being you know going forward saying, I'm going to do the right thing even when it's hard. And I, I need to recognize that um,
1: there's many other
0: people who realize we've got a challenge, we've got a problem. Uh, I think is almost freeing because then you sit there and you say, okay, what's the right thing to do for our employees? What's the right thing to do for our customers? and let that guide how you deal with the challenge and you get, you get clarity pretty quickly. So when we were faced with the ignition switch, we said we were gonna do three things. We were gonna do the right thing for the customer. We were gonna be transparent. Uh, and then the third thing we said is we were gonna do everything in our power to never let anything like this happen again. And we now, I just was in a meeting that we were preparing, we, we reinforced safety, both worker worker health and safety, as well as product safety, every day of, of every year, but we get together and we're preparing for, in September, we have a safety week and we just try and reinstill the values and the learnings of why we need to focus on safety because at General Motors now, um, about over 40% of our salaried workforce has been with the company less than five or six years. They weren't even here when that happened. So, you know, making sure people don't forget and the importance of focusing on our customers and our employees, uh, is something we regular, regularly reinforce. And so whenever, you know, the, the world we live in um, and the challenges we face, we get the right people together and we figure it out.
2: It's so great. You talk about cross-functional uh, businesses and how you p- pull them together. And um, for all of us at JPMorgan Chase, we, we, we live in like the ultimate matrix. Uh, we pull together business functions, uh, frontline uh, cross line of business. And we, we work really hard to do that. Um, it's even harder as, you know, people have worked through who's remote, who's not, how are we going to flex, et cetera. And um, so doing that in crisis is hard. You've just explained how you do it. Doing it when you're trying to disrupt yourself, I think is even harder Because you're trying to ask questions about like fundamentally how you got here and whether that's like what's going to get you in the future. And you are now all about um, EVs and AVs and completely disrupting the company that we all knew, like that made regular cars. I would imagine you have a lot of people, you said you have a great portion of the population that's five years and under who's only been there, but there's been a, lot, a big portion of the population that's been there for a long period of time. And so as you help all of us on this session to just try to think about how do you get disruption in a very well long-term established company like General Motors and get yourself to be the leader in EVs and AVs? I mean, I, just give us a little of the inside baseball of how, how you get the teams together and do that with each other.
0: I think um, a lot of it is is communicating not just what we're going to do, but the why. And so we've spent a lot of time making sure people understand um, climate change and uh, the importance and the role our industry plays and why we have to take action. And I'm really proud that, you know, over four years ago, because of the experience we had with electric vehicles dating 20 years back to EV1, and we really never stopped working on battery technology, in fact, I think we have one of the largest battery labs in this country, possibly the world. And so from an automotive perspective. And so as we continued that journey, we had launched the, the um, Chevrolet Bolt uh, in I believe 2010. And then we followed with the Chevrolet Bolt and we had all this continuous learning. One of the learnings we had is to really have a portfolio of electric vehicles so everyone could truly Um, be able to drive an electric vehicle from a a segment, you know, what what they need, you know, some people, their vehicle is an integral part of their livelihood. And so we knew we had to reach every segment and and we had to have not only luxury electric vehicles, but affordable electric vehicles. And that's why four years ago, we set out on the journey to create a platform where we could easily scale and leverage our battery technology and not make every vehicle, you know, a whole new um, entry uh, because that takes time, takes money, and, and we knew we couldn't move as quickly as we can. So now we're we're leveraging the platform we started working on four years ago. So through that whole period, we have been you know, uh, sharing and communicating with the company. It was a couple of years ago that we said we believe in an all-electric future. And I can tell you the day we did that, you know, it was it, yes, it got maybe not that well covered outside the company, but it was really impactful in the company. And even just recently, when we put the announcement out that we aspire to sell all of our light duty vehicles in the U.S. to be electric by 2035, that was so important because it changed the dialogue in the company from when and if to, all right, now we have, uh, we've drawn a line in the sand, this is what we've got to work toward. And it stopped all the internal debate. Um, and so I think that's important to give, to help people Because again, everybody's trying to do the right thing, but to give them clarity of, you know, why climate change, what, you know, we're we're developing a solution that is broad, a whole portfolio of vehicles. And now when, um, so people don't debate or think I can think about that tomorrow. No, we all have to think about it today, but it's also very important to reinforce the important work that people are doing on today's products. Uh, We can't just drop everything. Uh, We're responsible for the way a lot of people move and we also have a lot of employees who are building those vehicles today. So helping people understand it's a transition. Everybody has a role in it, but but we have set a pretty ambitious goal uh, to to make that transformation. Just allows the whole company to have clarity. And and then, like I said, once we have clarity, I I think you know we've got an excellent team on the field to get it done.
2: And an excellent leader to do uh, to do all of that and to give them the vision and the courage and the. And, the, you know, to, to be able to power through, it's just, it's, it's really something. By the way, we're very proud shareholders of General Motors across JV Morgan Asset Management. So thank you for everything you're doing for our clients uh, okay. as you continue to transform the company. Okay. So um, just before we end, if you could, in this audience of mostly women, give us all the tricks of the trade. <laughs> if we had time, we would we would keep you here for hours. I was going through your interview with Jenny Rametti, who's our board member, she asked you a bunch of really great questions about tips for women and the style with which women do things uh, that you've you've sort of learned over the years to maybe adopt in, in different ways. And I just thought you could share any and all of those with us. It would be really helpful.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I, you know, what I learned and I would say I'm still learning. Uh, but you know, first of all, I think women need to understand we bring a lot to the table. In and I know we're all different, but you know, uh, in general, I think we, we we approach things more collaboratively. We recognize people, we we include, and I think you know those are all important things because I think when you look at most of the challenges we saw today, most of them are cross-functional. In whatever industry and company you're in, you've got to engage other people uh, to, to get the best uh, outcomes. And so, you know, when I look at it, a couple of things that I've realized, first, work-life balance. And it's it, yes, it can be about child care. It can be about elder care. It can be about other life responsibilities, but it's, it's your responsibility. You know, I always say any company will gladly take 24-7 from you and not even feel bad because it's a company. It's not a, it's not a person. And your manager or your leader can't work-life balance for you because they don't know what's important to you. So you have to take uh, ownership of of your balance and recognize that sometimes the most important is not the most urgent. And that was something I learned when uh, my my children are both out of college now. I guess they're not children anymore, young adults. But, uh, you know, as I was working, you know, uh, when they were young and through middle school, high school, you know, there was a lot of times where every now and then I had to say, look, Mary. Yes, I know, you know, there's this demand today, and you really wanted to leave at five o'clock so you could go to the soccer game, the hockey game, the cross-country meet, whatever. And I had to really, you know, give myself permission to say, that demand, I can get it done after I go to the game, and maybe I'll stay up a little later than I want, but this is really important to me. Or maybe it really isn't a deadline today. It's an artificial deadline I'm giving myself. So, you know, when you look back over a month over a year and you say to yourself, wow, I didn't spend the time, I wasn't there for the important things in my life. Well, then that's that's something you've got to adjust and you've got to own that. Um, and, I, and the other thing I would tell you is, just tell one quick story. Uh, this was when my kids were very little. My husband was in consulting, so he was traveling. So I was it. And the person who was taking care of my children went to, went to school in the evening. So if I didn't get home on time, I made her late for class and that's not right. And I'll, you know, so I, I think I was sitting in my boss's office, you know, it's 530 and I'm literally going, this meeting was supposed to end at 515. I've got to go. I've got to, you know, and I'm, this is this internal dialogue I'm having. And finally, I think, you know, I let another five minutes go. And I just said, you know, to my boss, I said, Harry, I really need to leave. Um, my, if I don't leave now, I'm not going to get home in time. And my, my daycare person is going to be late for class. And he's like, oh my gosh, go. He goes, why are you still here? And then, you know, from that point on, if it was, you know, toward that end of the day, he'd be like, no, Mary, do you need to leave if you need to leave? And he didn't say you can leave. We're going to keep going. He ended the meeting. And so I'm fortunate to work for someone like that. But what I learned is most managers are like that. That if they understand you've got to go because you're trying to be a good parent, or you're trying to be respectful of someone who's part of your ecosystem, they're going to want you to go. So sometimes I think the pressure we put on ourselves is is really We're doing it, and the company is not doing it. So, and frankly, if you work for a company that isn't going to respect the fact that you're you've worked a full day, you do a good job, and you've got to get home, you for someone like I described, maybe then it isn't the right company, or it's something you need to talk to your leader about to say, look, this isn't working for me. But I I think own that, um, but really remember, uh, you know, when you look back, you want to look back and say, you know what? I probably no one gets it perfectly right. But I feel like I, I, you know, my kids know or my parent might, that I'm taking care of or whatever obligations I have, they know I was dedicated and I cared and it was important. And I think, um, you know, months can turn into years. And if you don't do that from a work-life balance, that's going to be a challenge. So I'll, I'll stop there. Those are, I think that's probably for an audience of primarily women is one of the most important things. I guess one other thing I would say, Mary, you and I talked about this is, uh, yes, there's a lot of great attributes we we bring to a meeting. Again, overly generalizing, but the other thing is, don't take yourself out of an opportunity before you even explored it. You know, there's all. This is beyond the auto industry. When women get offered a, a, a look at a new position, and say, "Wow, I've got eight of the ten requirements. I'm not going to apply." A man will look at it and say, "I've got six. I'm going to go for it." And my message to women is, "Go for it." even if you don't get the position, you're going to learn so, so much of the interview process. You're going to be better for the next opportunity. And who knows, you might actually get it. So go for it. Don't hold yourself back.
2: I love that. Um, Marianne Lake, uh, several years ago, had this hysterical uh, rendition of, you know, the guy applies for the job and has like not eight of the 10 qualities has like three of the 10 qualities and the equivalent woman applies and has eight or nine. And the guy's like, I got this. And you know, the woman is like, "Mm, I wonder how I'm going to get those other two skills. And, uh, and you're exactly right. It's just like, go for it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're right back to what you're doing today. And you've learned a lot through the process. Um, I also really appreciate you saying the comments about, um, how to deal with a situation where you need to go home or you need to keep the stuff in balance. It, it can't be in balance every day, uh, but it certainly can be in balance over the, over the time that you have. And I personally think uh, if there are any positives that have come out of this horrible um, pandemic, it's the, um, it's the ability to do things from a remote location somewhere that is now acceptable. And once it's acceptable, you have now freed up an entire population of people that can walk out at five o'clock or five thirty, and do the work later in the day or the evening and adjust the time zones that are so precious with the things that are most important in life. Cause as far as I can tell, we only get one of these. So uh, we need to make the most of it. And uh, okay. My last question, what's your favorite car?
0: Oh, you know what? Um, ever since I had the opportunity to run product development, I feel like they're all you know, my children, and they all play a special role in the portfolio, Uh, you know, I get letters from people who talk to me, they name their vehicles, they, you know, they tell me the journeys they go on, Uh, Tom, the Tahoe, Malibu Barbie, it's it's incredible, the, the letters that I get, but I would say from a very long, you know, since before I worked at General Motors, I've always loved Camaros, and we used to have the Pontiac Firebird, we make Camaros today. I love the Corvette. Um, but frankly, what I'm driving right now is the Chevrolet Bolt EUV. It's all electric. And I am, you know, every everybody, if you haven't driven an electric vehicle, you you think there's all these things you're giving up. I am just loving this vehicle. So, but they all play a special, a special um part in our company so I love them all but uh and one of the best parts of my job is I get to drive all kinds of vehicles all the time but um probably is the Camaros and Corvettes just um because they're uh, they're just so much fun to drive uh but the EVs the EVs we have coming I just can't wait
2: oh that's so exciting I uh just before uh we got on set here Jamie said oh You interviewing Mary, she is one of the great visionary leaders and she's actually changing the the world for us for a greener future and so hopefully all of us will support in the EVAV uh, revolution that you are leading and uh, we're just so thankful that you gave us the time. You are an inspiration for all of us, me particularly and uh, and I'm just really, really appreciative that you were with us today. Thank you so much, Mary.
0: Well, thanks for the opportunity and Mary, it's always great to uh, have the opportunity to work with you. So thank you so
1: much. What an excellent discussion. Thank you to both women for sharing their perspectives and their insights on leadership, career mobility, and making tough decisions. I love Mary Barr's lesson that you have to do the right thing, even when it's hard. Stay tuned for the next several episodes of the Women on the Move podcast, as we continue sharing content from our annual leadership conference. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode please rate review and subscribe so you won't miss any others for JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.